At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Uh, Psalm 133 uh, today. You know, as we look around, we see that our world right now and our culture and everything is so deeply divided. Right, you can't go on Facebook without seeing you know di- people disagreeing about that. I mean, you can like say one word and you know, like your comment or like pl- post like one word, and then people are, like disagreeing with you. It's the strangest thing, and I don't know why it's all happening, but it seems like we're so deeply divided as as a nation and, and as people. And instead of, of of coming together like you would think, you know, as as America in the past has been that that group of people, when there was a problem, we would gather together and work together to find a solution. And it doesn't seem like that's happening. And it seems like instead of coming together, we, we want to be further divisive and, and we want to decide who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, and, and we just can't, we can't agree on anything. But you know, even in this time, it highlights in each one of us, and I'm sure you feel it too, that one of the deepest desires that we have, one of the longings of our heart is to be unified. Would you agree with that? Like, none of us like being at war with other people. We want to be at peace with others, and we want to, to be known, and we want a place to belong. And I'm sure each one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we all want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Right? Wouldn't you guys agree with that? Like, like you want to belong, and you want to be known, and you want to walk in relationships where you're not fighting, and you're not disagreeing, and you're, you're not being disunified. And, you know, even in my own home, I've found that even if we've been walking this season we're, we've been spending a lot of time together as a family, and I love my family, but sometimes I don't like my family, right? Like, I love them, but sometimes I just don't like them. Can I get an amen from the Keith family over here? Amen. Like, it's been challenging. Our selfishness has, has come to the forefront, and, and our, our, our own desires and our own passions and our own thoughts sometimes have been points of contention. And maybe you just feel overwhelmed by that today. And so I want us to come to God's word today, and I want us to be challenged to, to, be, to understand that God has not designed us to live divisively. God has designed us uh, as his children, as people, especially the family of God, to live in unity. We are to, to be, of, of all the other places in the world, of all the other institutions in the world, the church is the place that's supposed to be unified. Why? Because we are in Christ together in the family of God called the church. And I want us to talk about this a little bit today. I want us to talk about the spiritual gift of unity. We've been walking through a series um, just prior to this talking about assembly required. We've been walking through the book of Psalms and we've been looking at specific Psalms that talk about the need for us to gather together corporately on a weekly basis. And today we're going to begin taking a look at some more Psalms, but we're going to shift the series a little bit to talking about the need to live in spiritual family, to need to live in uh, groups where we can do life together. And one of the things that's so important, an important ingredient about living in community and doing life together is unity. Now, uh, Jesus, before Jesus goes to the cross to die on the cross for our sins and all that, we see that um, in the book of John, Jesus gathers his disciples close. And as he's in that upper room with them, he's sharing with them about the things that are to come. And then he spends some time praying. 
In this prayer that he prays, he prays for himself. He prays that he would continue to do the will, the will and the work that God had set out for him. He continues to spend time praying for the disciples, that they would continue to be strong in the midst of persecution, in the midst of pain. But then, in this upper room, Jesus spends time praying for you, and he spends time praying for me. And one of the things that he prays for is he prays for unity, that the people of God, those that believe in Jesus, would be unified. And I, I wanted to show us this quick video uh, that highlights the story of Jesus' prayer for you and for me. Stories of the Bible. Jesus prays. This is Jesus. hey who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love and healed people from their sickness. He did many miracles like walking on water. Oh, hey guys. And even raised people from the dead. Wahoo! At this time, the Jewish people were celebrating a festival called Passover that had been celebrated since the time of Moses, when God brought his people out of Egypt. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to celebrate, and Jesus and his disciples were having the Passover meal together. Jesus told them many things of what was to come and the trials they would face. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and prayed for himself, saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Then Jesus prayed for his disciples and said, I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. He prayed for his disciples who would be staying in the world after Jesus went to heaven. He asked God to keep them safe from the evil one and to make them holy. Then Jesus prayed for all the people who would come to believe in God because of the message that the disciples would tell. He prayed for people of all time, even to this day. He prayed that followers of Jesus would be united so that the world would believe that God sent Jesus to die for their sins so that everyone could be with God forever. So Jesus prayed for you and I, knowing that the gospel would go from generation to generation and eventually to our generation, and that others would hear it and we would believe. And Jesus prayed that we would be unified that we would live in harmony with one another. And today, as we take a look at Psalm 133, this is what we're going to see a little bit deeper into what is this thing called spiritual unity that God has given us? What is this blessed gift, and how do we live in it? And that's what I want us to, to cover today. Uh, as we turn our attention to Psalm 133, what I want us to see is uh, you can see that um, in beginning of 133 that this is a song of ascent, now, a song of ascent, the songs of ascent were written by King David, and they were known also as the pilgrim songs. Uh, 
You see, these songs were used by the people of God uh, during their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. For God had commanded that God's people three times throughout the year would travel from wherever their village there was uh, in in the country, in, in the nation, that they would travel to Jerusalem for a time of worship. That during those times, um, the, the festival of Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths, that Jewish families would celebrate three things. So God had ordained them that they would be reminded to come back, and as they come back, they would do three things. They were reminded as they celebrated these feasts of their common heritage. They were reminded that they were all children of God, that God chose them to be special people and to show a special kind of love to them. Also, they were reminded during these feasts, they were reminded of their redemption and their, their freedom from slavery from Egypt. And then third, these, these seasons of gathering together at the temple for worship was an opportunity for them to recommit themselves to their covenant with God. And so it didn't matter where they were, they would, they would come to the city during these festivals. And I've got a, a picture of, of Jerusalem here that I'd like you to see. So this is more in modern times, you can see, with the paved road and people traveling uh, towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on top of that mountain. And what would happen, is the songs of ascent were used uh, as people began or continued their pilgrimage towards the temple. As they began to climb that hill, they would begin to sing these songs of ascent. The fathers would lead their families in singing these psalms. And now imagine just the beautiness and the, and the meaning of this unity as we see families from all over the region gathering upon Jerusalem, as they begin to climb the hill, they look over and they see another family and another family and another family and another family. And as they're getting closer to the temple, they're singing the same song. Like how special is that? What a beautiful picture of unity because they're all coming to Jerusalem for the sole purpose of worshiping God. And with their voices and with their lives, that's exactly what they were doing. What a beautiful picture of oneness and a beautiful uh, sense of unity. Psalm 133 is one of those psalms that we're going to take a look at today. And it's a short psalm, but it has deep meaning as it reminds us of this gift of unity and how we're to respond to the gift of unity. And what we're going to see today is that our responsibility and our opportunity is to celebrate the gift of spiritual unity. What we should do in our groups and in our lives as we're doing life together is we should celebrate this special gift of unity. And today we're going to see three ways uh, that we, are, we can celebrate this gift of spiritual unity. Look at me in verse 1. Verse 1 says uh, of Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So the first thing we see in order to celebrate, or as we celebrate the spiritual gift of unity, the first thing that we need to do is to come into the family. Come into the family. Look at how David starts this off. First he says, behold, in a way of announcing a great news. I've got something I want to tell you, and so put down whatever you're doing and pay attention because this is going to be amazing. That's the, the sense behind this word, behold. Then he goes on, he says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. First, we, I'll talk about good and pleasant in just a moment, but we see this pronouncement of blessing is for the brothers. So in order to, be, uh, to receive this spiritual blessing, you must be one of the brothers or uh, you must be part of the family. Right, this, this blessing is not for everyone that's outside of the family. It's only for those that are part of the family. And this spiritual blessing is amazing. 
because it's something that can only be experienced by the family of God. So what is this blessing, the spiritual uh, family that is this blessing, what it is? It says, described as good and pleasant. Now David is very purposeful in here as he's describing this blessing, that it's both what we ought to do and what we want to experience. This blessing is not only what God requires, but it's what we really desire. It is both duty and it is delight. It is both good for you and it is enjoyable. So this, this, this good and pleasing is, is kind of like uh, eating kale because you know that it's good for your body, right? You may not like the taste of it, but you eat kale because you know it's good for your body, but it's as pleasing as eating pizza. That's kind of what he's talking about, right? So it's, it's both, both duty and it's delight. It's both what we de- really desire and it's what we really need, it, it's in some of the ways, it's also good like working out. Like we know that working out is good for our bodies, but sometimes it's painful. It's good for us, but it's also as pleasing as sitting on the couch all day in our pajamas. It's both duty and it's delight. It's both good and it's pleasant, this beautiful gift that he's given us. But David makes it perfectly clear. Not only do you need to be a part of the family of God to experience this good and pleasant gift, he makes it clear that in order to receive it, you also must commit to dwell in the family. You can't be outside of the family because if you're outside of the family, you won't experience this good and pleasing gift. It's only for those that make a commitment to dwell. Now, what does that mean? Well, to dwell is where you live. It's where you make your home. It's where you give the most of your time, the most of your attention, the most of your resources. So those who choose to dwell in the family of God receive this blessing. It's this commitment to the family, to doing life with the family, to doing life together. And it's when you experience this together, that's the the blessing that is good and pleasant. It's when we're together as the the family of God, when we hang out with one another and we share life with one another and we walk through the difficulties together and we walk through the joys of life together, when we we celebrate the the life of a newborn and we celebrate a, a wedding and we mourn with each other through the passing of a loved one. These are things that we do in Christian community that bring us together and that is both good and pleasing Let's face it, these past few months have been very, very difficult for us to connect as a church family. I, I don't know if you felt it, I've missed it, and I know many of you have, have shared with me how much you've missed it. But the way that we've historically done things and the way that we've historically gathered together as the church has been through programs, right? We have Wednesday night program, and that's where we, you come and bring your kids and you drop them off, and they get a chance to learn uh, about the Bible and, and to grow in, in relationships with each other. And then we get to hang out in the lobby. Uh, lots of amazing things happen in that part of our building and that we're no longer able to do. Normally, we, we do a lot of ministry through big events. We have big fellowship events like church picnics and other things like that. And we, we do other outreaches like the oil change and things like that. And those are ways in which we've been able to gather together as the church body and doing a lot of amazing things. And our relationships have grown. But in this season, we haven't been able to do any of that. We, we haven't been able to, to, to grow and to meet in the same ways that we always have before. And the question then becomes, how are we caring for the family of God? How are we experiencing this which is good and pleasing, especially since the world's been flipped upside down? 
And I, I want to remind you and just have, encourage you today to, to think through this as you are choosing to make Woodside home. If this is your home, then I want to encourage you to make two big commitments. The first big commitment we talked about in our last sermon series was to commit to weekly gatherings. Make this an important time for your family. So you know what, we're going to try to stop everything else and we're going to make church on Sunday morning a priority so we can gather with each other. The second commitment I want to encourage you to make is to commit to joining a life group a small group of people that meet together in homes throughout the week where you're doing a couple things. One, you're meeting for a time of fellowship, you're meeting for study in the word, and you're meeting to begin to serve in your own community. That's what is designed and our desire for our groups. We want people to study in groups and to be, to be the church, not here, but be the church scattered throughout the city all throughout the week. Now, I know you probably felt some frustration. I felt frustration, too, immediately as we were called to shelter in place and to stay home. And, and our rhythm of church um, meaningfulness was all messed up. It got all haywired and got all out of whack. And our rhythms of, like, Wednesday night Bible study and women's Bible studies and all those things uh, kind of got thrown up in the air. Uh, God was at work. God was at work, and I wanted to share with you quickly how God was at work. Going into the, the shutdown, we had about nine groups that were meeting from our church. And that, that's probably, I don't know, less than 100 of our people were meeting together in groups. But we did have a lot of Bible studies. We had a lot of vibrant Bible studies meeting, but then those got shut down. And what happened is our church quickly pivoted to encouraging those that were in some of those other groups, uh, looking for people to, to start other groups that could be digital groups. And in the, a matter of just a, a few days, our, our groups that were about nine went up to about 21. And God was at work, and people were still cared for. People were still meeting and being able to, to share fears and, and to, to share concerns and to pray for one another and study God's word, whether it was through Zoom or FaceTime or whatever way. Our church was still connecting with people. And I'll tell you, that's what is needed, specifically in a time like this. We need those relationships, and we need, we're not going to get it all by just coming on Sunday morning. You're going to get some of that relational opportunities and some of that engagement, but we need to be doing doing life together, and that's the purpose of life groups, and we want to encourage you, uh, especially as we look towards this fall season, if you're not connected to a life group, get connected to a life group. Also, I want to share with you real quickly, one of our hearts uh, as we move into this season, we realize that this season is still challenging for families as well, and so we want to uh, launch several family groups this fall. And what a family group is, it's different than just a normal life group. Because in the past, what would happen is you would meet together uh, for a time of fellowship in homes. And the kids would come and the adults would come. And you'd have a few moments of fellowship. And then what would happen is you like, sh we shoo the kids away, tell them to go downstairs in the basement, don't break anything, don't hurt anyone, while the adults can do their study. Right, And for lots of, of, of adults and lots of families, that was like, I don't want to do that because that's really super stressful. And so one of the things that we've been praying through is trying to decide and to, and to define what a family group looks like. And this is what a family group in our mind right now would look like. So we have a cross-generational uh, group that meets with three or four families. They meet together in someone's home. 
and uh, either a weekly basis or every other week. And uh, that the family spends some time together as, as a family, uh, or the family spends some time together fellowshipping. And then there's a time of, of corporate Bible study where the kids, doesn't matter if they're, they're 7 or 17 or 3 or 13, along with the adults, there's a gathering around of God's Word. And then you get a chance as families uh, to walk through Scripture together. And then there'll be a season uh, in that evening where the adults go off and have a little bit of conversation. And then the kids go off in the same house and do some kids' activities. And this is an opportunity that we want to come alongside families and really, really help them. So we're going to resource these family groups with three main people. First, we're going to give each group a um, uh, Tyler. We're going to give each group Tyler. Uh, and Pastor Tyler is going to encourage and help the, uh, the group leaders uh, just feel confident in what they're doing. Then we're going to come alongside the family groups. Our kids' ministry team is going to come alongside our family groups and provide them with all the resources for the kids. So if you need cutouts, if you need chalk, if you need tape, if you need handcuffs. We're going to make sure that you have everything that you need in your life groups. And then we're going to come alongside with a third person. Uh, it'll probably be a hybrid of me and Tyler at this point. And we're going to connect you with, we're uh, come alongside you with a connector that's going to help you connect to local ministries and other places where you can serve. During this time of, of um, kind of uh, not being able to, to come to church, we had one of our groups that was continuing to meet. And during this time, they, they met some in person, but mostly they met over Zoom. And during this time, they developed a passion for wanting to connect with McRest. McRest is the, the local ministry that we partner with every year that helps people that are homeless go from being homeless to finding a home. And so one of our groups says, hey, let's jump on board with this. Let's see how we can help McRest. And so they developed a relationship with McRest and began uh, doing uh, work for McRest by gathering some supplies together. And so it's things like that is what we're hoping to, to be able to offer our family groups. We're still in the fall going to offer our regular groups. Um, and if you're not connected to a group, I want to encourage you uh, to prayerfully consider committing to that for this fall. But the reality is we need to come into the family. That's one of the ways we celebrate this spiritual unity is by coming into the family and committing to the family. Maybe you've been a part of Woodside for a long time, and this is, this is your church family, but you're not a member here. You come and you're like, hey, I, this is my church home, but you haven't taken the step yet to become a member. I want to encourage you uh, to go online uh, and sign up for our Next Steps class. Uh, it, it begins a meeting during our 930 service just down the hall. You can take it in person or you can take it digitally, but it's an opportunity for you to learn a little bit about a little bit more about Woodside, know what we believe, and what does it mean to be a member. And then as you go through those classes, you'll have everything you need uh, to become a member of, of our church. And we're excited about that. And we want to encourage you to do that. Because uh, before the lockdown, I was doing some, some research, and I realized that about 50% of our attendance on some Sunday morning, those that would consider themselves to be uh, a member or attenders here or a part of our church family, about 50% of our attenders are not members. Now, now, that's not a problem. We, we love those that, that, that are coming and, and call this home, but we want to encourage those. If you're part of that 50%, we want to encourage you to take that next step towards membership. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to enter into a deeper relationship where your talents and abilities and gifts can be used here, but we also come alongside you um, to give you that support and that encouragement as well. So come into the family. Be connected. Commit to being a part of the church family. The second way uh, that we celebrate this gift of spiritual unity is to come with harmony. 
come with harmony. Let's look at verse one again. He says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now, we need to understand what what David is talking about here. He's commending the family of God for living in the unity and harmony that God has already provided. You see, as Jewish families from different regions and different tribes and different walks of life made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they were gathering with the one purpose in mind to worship God and to celebrate their covenant with God. Remember, these are a covenantal people. The God of the universe at a specific time, we see in Exodus Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, he begins this covenant of unity. God says to his people, he says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. See, what God is doing is he's beginning this covenant relationship. He says, I am going to be your God and you will be my special people. I will show you a special kind of love and a special kind of care. And so he entered into this this covenant community. So even though they were one in covenant, they were unified in covenant, a lot of times they had to continue to work towards the commitment to unity. So there's a covenant, but then you have to be committed to the covenant. And if we know anything about Israel's history, we know that there were many times that Israel was deeply divided. Even though they had the covenant, they weren't committed to the covenant. And as David is writing uh, this psalm, we see that he's celebrating their unity. It must have been under David's leadership that the, the kingdom was united and they felt a sense of awe and wonder and a sense of harmony like they might not have felt ever before. And so David is celebrating that. He's like, brothers, when we dwell in unity, it's good and it's pleasing. It is special and it's awesome. But we've got to stay committed to this relationship or committed to this covenant. Now, we know that the old covenant in the Old Testament was actually just there to point to a better covenant that was to come, a better promise that was going to be fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You see, this new covenant that God provided through the giving of his son was not just for Jews. It wasn't just for a special people, but this covenant would be open to all people. Didn't matter the color of his skin, how much money they made, where they lived. It was open to anyone that would believe. And in this new covenant, all the hostilities, all the distance between man and God and man and each other would be broken down. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, and he talks about this work that Christ would do to begin this new covenant. Verse 14 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul writes this, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself a new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit and to one father. So what... Uh, What Paul is writing about is through Jesus' atoning work on the cross, he paid for the penalty of our sin. And if we believe in the work of Jesus, not only do we have peace with God, but we have peace with each other. That we're no longer at war with one another. We no longer have to be at war with God. This is the new covenant. But we have to commit to this new covenant. 
Because you know, as, time, as family spends time together, sometimes they don't always get along, right? Family doesn't always get along, especially for like, like my family in this, this time where we spent so much time together as family. Uh, we offend each other. We hurt each other. The relationship uh, suffers, and it needs to have work towards it. You need to be committed to this covenant, the best way that I, I could describe this in my own life is being reminded of the covenant that I entered into with my wife, Sarah, 21 years ago. You see, on that, on that day in July, 21 years ago, we stood before God, we stood before our family, we stood before our friends, we stood before the church, and we entered into this covenant of marriage where we said, no longer do I want to live just for myself, but I want to live with you, and I want to live for the Lord with you together. And the Bible tells us that, that in the marriage ceremony, a miracle takes place. God takes two separate people, and he makes them one. That's the covenant. That's the covenant that we entered into, a promise that we would be with each other until the Lord calls us home. Now, that's the covenant of marriage, but I know that there are so many times, especially in the first few years, I would wake up, and I didn't feel like I wanted to be married anymore, Right? Like, we, there were times and seasons that we wouldn't get along, and there were seasons where we couldn't agree, and we would disagree, but there was the commitment to the covenant. Even though I didn't always feel like the, the lovey-dovey emotion that were there sometimes, I knew that there was a commitment. And this commitment to unity that we have, that Sarah and I have had for over 21 years, has come through personal sacrifice. It's come through patience. It's come through looking at Sarah's needs and putting her needs before my own. It's come through a commitment, through constantly making decisions to love my wife and to remain faithful to her. And this commitment to the covenant has brought us through some really challenging times. Realizing when I'm going through a difficult time because I'm committed to her, Sarah's there in my life to encourage me to keep, keep going. She's probably my biggest cheerleader in my life. She, she could because she knows the good and the bad. She, she could tear me down every single day and tell me all the things I'm not doing. And she could make me really feel bad about myself. But instead, because she's committed to this relationship too, she builds me up and she encourages me along the way. And we challenge each other and we get through difficult times because we have each other. In the same way, in the church, that's how we're supposed to be with each other. We have to stay committed to the relationship. The covenant's already been done. God, God has done everything that we need through Jesus, but we need to stay committed to it. Because a relationship left unmaintained does not drift towards unity. Relationships left unmaintained drift towards distance, they drift towards division, and they drift towards isolation. And the same is true for relationships inside the family of God. Christ has already given us the covenant, but we need to do the work to stay unified. That means when we are doing life together and we offend one another or we begin to question the motives of someone else or the intentions of someone else, if we're living in community, we have the opportunity to have that discourse and to have that conversation. If we're not living in community, then we sit back and we question the intentions and we develop stories and narratives in our heads about how that other person is evil and how they're wrong and we forget that they're our brother or sister in Christ. We need to stay committed by living in relationship to each other. Lastly, we see the beauty of this benefit in this gift of spiritual family is that in the spiritual family where there is unity, we can come and be refreshed. Look at me in verse two and three. 
He says, this unity is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Here, David gives us, after describing, spending time describing um, the... um, describing what unity is about, he now shows us the delight of unity, the benefits of unity. He gives us two pictures of it. First, it's like the precious oil that's on the head, running down the beard of Aaron, running down to his collar and onto his robe. From this, we see two things. First, we see that unity is very special. The picture of this anointing oil is, is harkened back to the time that when um, Moses was anointing Aaron as the priest. And this oil was used, it was made of a, a very special recipe was, that wasn't to be duplicated or reduplicated at any other time. This recipe for this special oil with its sweet smells was only to be used to anoint the priest and uh, for special anointings of, of God's Uh, like the tent of meeting and the tabernacle and other things like that. This special anointing oil was only used during that time. So it was a special oil. We also see that this uh, oil was very sweet. So it reminds us that unity is sweet. Remember the position of the priest in the life of God's people. right? The position of the priest was to, to go before God on behalf of the people and to make the sacrifices for their sins. Right, so he was the, the go-between between God and, and man. And this, um, this oil, as it is liberally drowning all over Aaron, is reminding of the sweet, sweet smell of God's forgiveness, that it covers the stench of man's sin. And it also shows us the amount of, of grace that God has given, the extravagant amount of God's grace to bring us common salvation. And today, we see these extravagant measures that God took to secure our salvation through the shedding of his blood on the cross. So we have a unity of salvation. We have a sweet, sweet gift that we celebrate every single week. We're reminded of Jesus' sacrifice. But second, we see the next per- picture is that of the Mount of Hermon. I've got a picture of actually what the Mount of Hermon looks like. This is actually a, a, a mountain that is in Syria. It is uh, the highest mountain in Syria, and it's about 120 miles away from Jerusalem. So as David is sitting there in the palace uh, or looking out, and he sees, uh, as he's writing this psalm, I'm sure he sees Mount Hermon. And he is reminded of the refreshment that comes from Mount Hermon. For Mount Hermon is a great place of great participation. Of precipitation. They get over 60 inches of uh, precipitation throughout the year. Also, the two-thirds of the year, the mountain is covered with snow. And the water from Mount Hermon, as it melts and comes down, it actually feeds the Jordan River. And imagine this picture as God's people are traveling to Jerusalem for uh, this celebration during the time of Passover and Pentecost. They come, in two of the things, they come during the season of the summer where it's really, really dry. And so as they're traveling towards uh, Jerusalem to worship God, they're reminded that their refreshment is coming and it can come from the Lord. So he's like, it's sweet. When you're thirsty and you're dry, the refreshment comes from God. What a beautiful picture. But we also see that um, at Jesus, during a time where he is in uh, the city preparing the Feast of Booths, 
um, and he's, this is the third feast. Jesus is there as he, com- he's, he comes into Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. He looks around and sees God's people that are desperately in need of refreshment. You see, they had come to a place where they took a relationship with God and made it into a religion. And so they had taken these feasts and they had taken these um, pilgrimages and they were just going through the motions. They weren't doing it because they loved God and really wanted to worship him, but they were doing it because it's what they were told to do. And so Jesus sees his people uh, in the city celebrating the Feast of Booths and knows that they're dry and they're in need of satisfaction. And Jesus says this in John chapter 7. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What an amazing promise. Jesus sees his people in desperate need of of drink, and he says, come to me. And not only will I fill you, but I'll allow from your heart to come a flowing river of water, a water of life that not only will satisfy you, but will satisfy others. What a refreshing promise that he gives us. What's amazing about this promise is when we come to place our faith in Jesus, then out of our heart comes this, we get satisfied, but also this living water comes out of it. And then so how does this work in the unity of the church? Well, I have a living water inside of me because I believe in Jesus. And and from that, he's going to come and refresh others. And when we gather together in groups and we gather together as God's people, if we have this gushing water that's coming out of our hearts, my, my life becomes to refresh yours and you refresh mine. And what a beautiful water fest, right? It's like the best water park ever because Jesus's love is flowing through us and flowing through others and we refresh one another. That's the beauty of gathering in groups so that we can sustain, refresh, revitalize, and encourage one another as we carry out the mission of God. So this morning, as we are reminded that we are to celebrate the spiritual unity, we are to do it together, not in isolation, but we are to do it together as church family. Again, I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet come to the place of of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, you can do so today. You can experience that, that refreshing water by doing exactly what Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow this living water. It takes believing in Jesus to become a child of God, to become a part of the family of God, the part of the church. So if you need to do that today, I encourage you to call on Jesus' name and be saved. But for many of us, maybe our decision, we've already done that, but we, our decision is we need to join the church. We need to just say, okay, it's now my time to jump in and I want to become a member. Or maybe you are committed to the weekly gathering, but you haven't yet committed to a group. I want to encourage you. If you maybe you feel like you want to lead a group, talk to Pastor Tyler, talk to me, and we'd love to get you connected. Or maybe you just want to be connected. Maybe you just you don't really know anyone here yet, but you want us to help make that relationship. Let us know, and we'll encourage you to do so. But today, because of what Jesus has done, we have so much hope. We have salvation, and we have each other. Let's celebrate that together. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you that the promises that we have in Jesus is that we can be unified, that we no longer have to live by ourselves, um, but that you call us to live together, and that it does take commitment. It takes us making this place a priority. It takes um, opening ourselves up to deeper relationships, 
Um, it's a personal decision. And so, Father, I pray today that um, you continue to work in our lives, continue to encourage us, continue to help us um, as we look around and see those that aren't here, help us to be encouragers in their lives, to give a phone call, write a text, or go by and visit and just see how people are doing. Father, we know that this is a challenging season for so many, and I'm so thankful that you've given us each other to walk through it together. And I'm also aware, God, there's so many differences today. We have different opinions. We have different thoughts. Um, but together, we share the same salvation. We share the same Savior. And because of that, you make us one. So may we celebrate that, but may we also live in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.